The following presentation is part of a six-week class titled Introduction to Mindfulness. The class is offered at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. In practice, and I'll give more instructions during the sit tonight. So feel free to stretch out if you need to, and then we'll be sitting for about 30 minutes tonight, so a little bit longer than last week. I think we sat about 25 minutes last time. And whenever you feel ready, just taking your time, finding a comfortable, upright, relaxed sitting posture. <clears throat> And you probably realize by now that you're not going to find, or probably you won't find, the perfect sitting posture. So we just do the best we can. Reminding the body to be relaxed, and in particular, the places in the body where you tend to hold tension. Just reminding those places to be at ease. The eyes can close or maybe half closed, taking a couple of slow, deep breaths for a few seconds, mindfully filling the lungs to their capacity, emptying the lungs completely just a few times as a way of coming into the experience of the body sitting. intimate with the body as it actually is now. So one more easy deep breath in and out at your own pace. And whenever you're done with your exhalation, allow the breath to continue on its own. So no need to consciously control the breath, knowing that the body can breathe without any control. And we practice listening to the sound of the bell. Noticing the capacity of the mind to be receptive. Just receiving sounds for a few seconds. Let them be.
nothing to do with the sounds, just being awake, sensitive to all the different sounds, the sound of my voice, the furnace, any movement in the room, sounds from your own body. and being receptive to all the sensations in the body now. As if sitting in the middle of this ocean of body sensations that come and go, the full range of sensations, the pleasant and unpleasant and neutral, completely undefended just let sensations be. Feeling the movement of the breath right in the middle of the experience of the body. This coming and going of the breath. And trust the body completely. No need to control the breath. Cultivating a continuity of attention and a strong willingness to begin again every time the mind is distracted. Just begin again, feeling the body sitting and feeling the breath in the body. And remember, you might find it useful to note the in and out or rising and falling of each breath to support a greater continuity of attention.
noticing any emotions that are clear or present. Even the subtle emotions like contentment, peacefulness, and any of the afflictive emotions. Just notice them as naturally occurring phenomena, mental phenomena. Not pushing or pulling, but just understanding this is how it is. As if observing a weather system, <coughs> this is how it is now. by emotions means we understand that this is a temporary phenomena, something that's come in and that will pass away in due time. And just return to the attention to the breath when you're ready, connecting, sustaining,
be willing to begin again, starting back with the sensations of the body sitting, finding the movement of the breath in the body, connecting and sustaining. Practice not being confused by the thoughts or the emotions that arise, not being swept away, and not getting reactive or trying to get rid of.
no matter how thick or heavy or compelling the thoughts are, it's always possible to begin again. First, just to notice the emotional quality of the thoughts or whatever emotion that seems to be present. Everything from a slight background of excitement or boredom to more pronounced or clear emotions. Just noticing and letting it be what it is. Practice not being afraid of the attitude or mood or the emotion that's present. Practicing an unconditional acceptance of the mind and body. This is how it is now. Can this be okay? together if you'd like to use this gesture you don't need to and then release the arms just stretch out if you'd like time now and uh, people who would like can check in, say a few things about what you're noticing both tonight but also at home in your practice, questions that you might have. I think as I mentioned before, it's really nice to hear from people about what you're noticing as you're sitting, what's been challenging, what seems to be going well. So what comes to mind, the questions that you have? And say your names too. So uh, Dave? accept, what, uh, often what will happen is we have a sense that we need to do something to the experience first before it's acceptable. But yeah, I think the point you were making is a good point, that we actually have to see it relatively clearly before we know what we're accepting, what we're being receptive to. So there's not a right or wrong. It's just about noticing our mental habit and then 
using the technique or the model to counter that habit so we're not as likely to sort of fall into our habit, which is not to be mindful, you know, but to be discursive or reactive. And asking the, the question, can this be okay without being in the Yeah, or even in the accept okay. stage. And in the non, non-attached stage, not identified stage, too. Yeah, so it's, you know, all of those, um, you know, all of the uh, qualities that the acronym stands for, recognize, accept, investigate, non-attachment, non-identified, they're really pointing to the same thing. They're just different facets of being mindful or being fully present with experience. So in terms of how you do it, doesn't matter. Of course, R I A N <laughs> doesn't spell anything, does it? <laughs> yeah, maybe someone can come up with even a more clever acronym. Let me know. Other thoughts that you have about your practice? What are you noticing? What's been challenging? been able to stay with it uh, without reacting or moving at times? Yeah, yeah. But it, does it go away? Yeah, it does, but I, it goes away faster. Yeah, but, but I mean, sometimes we're not going to be able to touch it, so it's good practice for those times. And we learn something amazing. I mean, this is truly a liberating insight, which is Normally, when there's a strong desire like, you know, gold darn it, I have to scratch that itch. So that's a very strong desire. And part of the deluding quality of that desire is that um, either I'm going to die if I don't scratch this, or even more subtly, it's like this pain or this disturbance won't go away until I do something about it, like scratch it. And so when we stay with a strong desire and see it and see it and see it and see it, we see that it goes away on its own. And this is really amazing. Like you might be thinking about, let's say you haven't eaten in a while, and you may be thinking about the meal you're going to have tonight. And you know how that is. If you really let yourself indulge in it, the desire just gets stronger. But if you just watch it, Eventually, your mind drops that and starts to think or do something else. Even though when you're in the middle of really, you know, really caught in this idea that I need to eat now, it can feel so compelling. And and part of that compellingness is that it's not going to go away until I eat food. But that's just not true. Like everything, these desires come and go. Itches come and go. All these various uh, reactive patterns come and go. 
regardless of whether we do something about them. And that's really nice to know that we don't always have to do something about it. We can simply watch it. It will bloom. It gets really intense. And then it starts to go away. So that's just an encouragement to see that. Because then when it comes up and we can't necessarily just scratch it, you know, but another kind of desire comes like, you know, we're getting sick with the flu and we want to be healthy. Right? Well, wanting to be healthy, there's not there's nothing to scratch to make the flu go away immediately. But uh, the sort of strong aversion we have to the flu, that can pass away if we just watch it. You know, don't want to be sick, I don't want to be sick, I don't want to be sick, and then it's done. If we don't take a hold of that idea, don't push it away, don't take a hold of it, it does its thing, and then it goes away. No, it might come back, but we can watch it again. It does its thing, and then it goes away. So we don't have to feel um, bothered by these thoughts, these strong desires, these strong aversions, fears that come up in the mind. So we really get that if we can be present without reacting. Now, I know it's hard with itches or tickles, but they're actually really good things to work with because we know they're not going to harm us. And so we can be quite fearless about staying there. And even to the point where our body, out of habit, may jerk. Like, But the mind can be really steady and really let me be the first person to ever die of a tickle <laughs> or an itch. You know, because it feels that way, doesn't it? And But you know, you can be confident that, even though you're saying that, you're not really going to die. And you can just see, well, this is intense, but that's all it is. It's just a very, it's a, it's a sensation, not even necessarily a bad sensation. It's just a sensation and a very strong reaction to the sensation. So in June, you can practice sitting outside uh, during dawn or dusk and let the mosquitoes land on you. And that will be an even, by then you'll be experts, right? Because, you know, most of us have very strong conditioning that this is the worst thing in the world to let a mosquito bite us. But, you know, kids do it all the time. They're playing with their, in the sandbox and they're completely oblivious to the, uh, to the bugs on them, the mosquitoes on them. We know it's not going to kill us. So it's a way to work with fear and reactivity and just to see um, are we going to let ourselves be controlled, live in reaction to emotions, or are we going to have a different relationship to emotions, a non-reactive relationship to emotions? things. First, notice that attachment, the wanting. So not so much fixating or looking at what you want. Look at the experience of wanting to think or wanting that mental activity. And look at the experience, the fear of not having something to think about. 
or the fear or aversion to simplicity or whatever you want to call the state where you're not involved in discursive thinking. So always think about it this way, where we're dropping from the content to the more subtle emotional or um, visceral quality. So when we want, so instead of what we want, notice the feeling of wanting. When we're afraid of like not having a thought, notice the fear as opposed to the story that I'm afraid of boredom or I'm bored or something like that. There's so much to learn here. And it really starts to change our life. The more we get to know the mind and how it operates, the more our life begins to transform in a really beautiful way. And uh, we can choose to live blindly for the rest of our life, or we can cultivate awareness. And sitting practice, meditation practice, is just a systematic way of developing understanding or awareness of the mind. We're really learning to understand the nature of the mind. Yeah. Rachel, is that right? Hi. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really struggling with this question, can this be okay? Mm-hmm. And, and thinking that there should be times when the answer is no. Yeah, for sure there are times. But can that be okay? I mean, when we're in a reactive state, then is it possible to know that state? You know, let's say somebody did something, uh, or you did something that was deeply, deeply humiliating, and uh, you ask the question, "Well, can this be okay?" And then there's a very strong no, no, it's not okay. And so you're really caught and uh, embarrassed, and both maybe wanting to strike out and withdraw and confusion about you know, how to cover up and how to fix it. And then, so if, if the mindfulness is strong here, there can be, in a moment, a recognition that I'm really caught. The mind is really caught. Confusion is strong. Can this be okay? Can it be okay to be lost and caught and confused? So we can always take a step back and a step back so when the answer is no, we take a step back. Well, is that okay? So the question, can this be okay, isn't an imposition. Like, it should be okay. It's just a question. It's helping to clarify, like, is the mind caught or not? If it's not caught, then that means this is okay, which means it's possible to, uh, for this, whatever it is, this mental state or body state, it's possible for this just to be known in the space of here and now. If it's not okay, we have to sort of back up. It's like we're creating more space to, to recognize, oh, now it's like this. You know, the mind is out of control, and it's like this. Can this be okay? On Wednesday night, I was um, giving a talk last night at our Wednesday evening program, and I think it was last night, and I shared at a time uh, when after when and I recently after we had moved in in '93, we moved into this building, my wife and I, and uh, in the middle of the night, some there was just loud pounding, it was like two o'clock in the morning, pounding on the door and some shouting, which I didn't hear, and I just uh, freaked out because I I saw my mind trying to come up with an explanation of what's going on, 
you know, I had enough presence, but because I was so surprised and because it was such an unusual occurrence, my mind couldn't come up with any possible explanation why there would be this loud pounding and shouting at my door at 2 or 3 in the morning. And uh, I have this strong um, habit of wanting to be in control. And so, so that just sort of put a more of a, a strong need to have an explanation. And you know, the more you try, the less able you are, and the harder you try. And, and so I started sliding into a panic state, you know. But I didn't want to be panicking because I thought it was important to be in control, which made it even worse. So you can just, you get the sense how we get ourselves into such states. But even though all of that was happening, I mean, I was, I, I can't remember too many times, if ever, um, in the last, you know, 20 years that my mind was so out of control. Even in that state, there was a sense of knowing that my mind is completely out of control. <clears throat> I am literally terrorized in this moment. I mean, that was the experience. And, uh, but there was a knowing. Yeah, it's like I'm out of control. And that's how it is now. And so, there's a lot of freedom. I mean, if you're going to be out of control, it's really nice to know it. Because if we don't know it, then we're completely lost in it. But if we can know it, there's some possibility of different kinds of choices being made. Other thoughts or comments from your practice? Um, so your name? Ben. ben. When I'm sitting, it feels like I can pretty quickly drop into state of fairly attuned awareness mm-hmm. um, of kind of subtle sensations and emotions and thoughts. And then as the, pre- as the half hour goes on, it kind of almost feels regressive as far as my ability to maintain that. So it's like, you know, maybe the first time it'll be 12 to 14 minutes, and then the next time it'll be six, six to eight minutes. And, mm-hmm. then, and each time I'm starting over, it's like my ability to maintain that mindfulness is less and the thought train that it goes off on then becomes longer. So there can be a couple reasons for that. One of the one of the problems with cultivating <coughs> meditation is remember how I, I talked about alertness and relaxation building up? And so energy builds in practice and if we're not careful then, when the mind does go off on a tangent into thought, it goes with a lot of power. And so instead of having, you know, a, a nine inch black and white television, you've got a flat screen, you know, with Dolby sound. And so the the capacity of our mind to create interesting thoughts is just it's already pretty pretty amazing. And then in the context of meditation practice, it's actually much more powerful and seductive. And so uh, as the mind quiets down and the energy builds, the effort needs to increase. The effort of like catching it right at the beginning, not even taking a step in the direction of identifying with our thoughts, indulging in our thoughts. because. There, the momentum is just so much greater. So there has to be a, a, a kind of sensitivity that as soon as the distraction, the thought is arising, 
in the very first moments that it that it's arising, there's a recognition that it's arising, and you might try noting very quickly, very quickly. Oh, thinking, and come back, thinking. Um, it's like uh, sometimes people use the image of a razor's edge. It's like when we're not trying to be mindful, it's relatively easy not to be swept away. I mean, we're kind of swept away and then we're back. But when, when the mind is very refined, it's very easy to slip off. And so we just have to heighten the effort. So that's my guess is that, that you need to uh, um, have a stronger resolve to notice and to maybe notice the underlying quality in the mind. Like if the mind's getting too relaxed, you might not notice that the effort you're making is being sort of caught or uh, getting lost in that relaxation. Like you have a sense that I can just, I can just sort of trust and let go. But uh, we can't really let go completely in the sitting practice until the habit of being vigilant, I mean, until the process of being vigilant is a habit. So that then the quality of not forgetting is just part of the, the mind. And we don't have to sort of make an effort for it to be there. But that takes a long time. I mean, I, I feel like I'm in that same place most of the time that I have to be really vigilant in the set. And if I'm not vigilant, my mind can be a million miles away in a matter of a few seconds. Um, and then the longer the mind is away, the harder it is to come back to the body because it it gets, uh, we create some momentum in that thought stream. You know, we're basically reinforcing being distracted. And so then coming back, then we're dealing with that greater momentum that's sort of pulling us like a magnet in different directions because of the habit, the momentum of that fantasy or whatever that particular pattern is. Is there, or would it be advantageous, or is there a way to kind of slow down the momentum initially? Well, you know, it may be that you you have this capacity to settle in. And, uh, I mean, yeah, there are a couple of things you should do. You could keep your eyes open, you know, like a half gaze in front of you. That might help a little bit more. And uh, and then in your attention, like are you using your breath for your anchor? So just make sure that your attention to the breath isn't conceptual, that you're actually noticing specifically the sensations. So where do you notice the breath in the body? I mean, it, when, it, when it really drops in, it's kind of an energetic experience, mm -hmm. of like opening and settling down. Mm -hmm. uh, Chuck, when you're watching or observing that, that energetic experience of the breath, see if it's something visual. If it's something visual, it could very well be that you're um, you're observing a very subtle thought about your breath, which can lead to very deep states of concentration. So it's not that you're not getting concentrated, but that you've sort of moved the attention away from the body, and you're observing a very subtle mind state. And this may be kind of what's going on here. So then. Uh, so when you start your practice and the breath is, the physical manifestation of the breath is more obvious, like the belly, you're feeling the belly moving, or you're feeling the touching here, then 
really stay with the sensory experience of the breath. Now, it does get subtle. It does really change. So, um, But to uh, just uh, observe whether you're kind of layering some image over the physical, the physicality of the breath and really get interested. You have to sort of amp up your interest in the vibrational quality of the breath itself, even though it may get very, very subtle and almost disappear, and even disappear at times. It seems like it disappears at times as things slow down, loses its sense of exact location as it gets really subtle. And then also from time to time, notice the effect as the mind's dropping down. Notice what's that like in the mind, like if it's pleasant, then notice the pleasantness of that, so that pleasantness isn't confusing the mind, too. Just like we would want to notice if the mind's not liking it, like if there's just a lot of restlessness or sleepiness and it's unpleasant, we'd want to notice that unpleasantness. In the same way, if things do settle down quite a bit, then we want to notice that it's pleasant, because that's a predominant thing. If we don't notice it, it will be the cause. Because it's predominant, and if we're not noticing what's predominant, we start getting disconnected to the present moment, and that makes it really easy to get lost in thought. So it's really important that we don't stay fixed on what we think we should be paying attention to, but we're actually letting ourselves notice what is actually predominant in that moment. Thanks for the question. Time for maybe one or two more questions or comments if people have any experiences from their sitting practice you'd like to share? Mm-hmm. And say your name, please. Katie? Katie? Yeah. I can't ever get rid of that. I mean, when you talk about it, too, I can't conceptualize not having to talk about not letting your mind get distracted and think you're focused and not to focus. But isn't that odd? Or what I think of when I work... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.